If you remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 12 this morning, uh, starting at verse 35 through verse 48. Luke 12, 35 through 48. Uh, This will be our last passage in Luke for a little while. Uh, If you remember, we actually started last Advent with Luke. So it's been about a year now, so 12 months, 12 chapters, that's about right. Uh, But we'll be starting our Advent series uh, starting next week. It's actually the first week of Advent, uh, even though we're still in uh, November next week. Uh, We do have some Advent booklets that we handed out last year as well. They are daily devotionals for families or individuals. Uh, They came in just this past week, so on your way out, there's a bunch of them on the table there, so if you are interested, uh, we ask for one per family so that everyone can have one, Uh, but those are available to you there. So, with that being said, uh, Luke 12, verses 35 through 48, hear now the reading of of the Word. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at which hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did, not, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, if you recall from last week in our study of Luke, um, as I, after I finally got the microphone to a place where it wasn't uh, giving me feedback, uh, I think we figured that out, so hopefully we won't have that issue today. But um, uh, last week, if you recall, we were talking about the fact that Jesus was calling us to, to not be greedy, to not be anxious, but to seek first the kingdom of God. And the question is then, well, how do we go about that? How do we honestly set our heart on the kingdom and seek that first? How do we simply say, uh, we can't simply say, well, don't be greedy. We have to replace that greed with something. We can't simply say, well, just don't be anxious. We have to say, uh, to replace that anxiety with something. Well, Jesus gives that to us this morning in our passage in verses 35 through 48. How do we really do that? How do we set aside greed and worry? This morning we have the antidote. Being ready for the return of Christ is the cure for greed and worry in our lives. This morning what we'll see is that we need to be prepared for Christ's return because it will happen. And those who are prepared will be rewarded and those who are not prepared will face the judgment. So first of all, what does our passage say this morning? So Jesus tells two parables here, uh, these two quick stories about masters and servants, about going away and about returning. The first one, it is the, the master and a wedding feast. And the servants are awaiting their master who is returning from this wedding. And there are some that are dressed who are ready. They are awake when the master returns and they are blessed Not only does the master reward them with his presence, but he also rewards them by turning the tables and serving them. He is the one who uh, dons the white gloves of a servant. He allows them to sit at the table and enjoy food while he is the one serving them. How neat is that, uh, that the, the master would serve the servants? So Jesus tells his disciples to be ready because the master will return at an unexpected hour, just like the thief who comes at an unexpected time. Now, we shouldn't compare Jesus to a thief here only in the sense that his return will be very unexpected. It's the only thing that Jesus and the thief have in common. We don't know when it's going to happen. So at this point, Peter, the, I think, probably self-appointed spokesman for the rest of the disciples, um, usually it's hard for him to stay silent. He needs to, to say something. He needs to ask. And so he asks the question, Jesus, what you're saying, is, it, is this just for us, the disciples? Are, are you talking about people in general? Um, who, are, who are you referring to here? But if you notice, Jesus doesn't really answer the question. Um, he's almost like a, a politician during a debate here where he receives a question and he answers it in his own way, not necessarily answering the question, but saying what he feels needs to be said. So Jesus keeps moving on, and he gives this parable about the faithful and the wise manager. If the master finds this servant manager doing what he is supposed to be doing when he returns, he will be rewarded. If the master finds the servant manager mistreating the other servants when he returns, he will be severely punished. 
even cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. These are strong words. And Jesus ends with this, to whom much is given, much is expected. Strong statements from Jesus. As usual, he's not mincing his words. He's giving it to us very straight. So what does this all mean? What what is he saying here in these two stories, in these two parables? Um, We have a couple of points this morning that that you can find there in your bulletin as well. Uh, The first one is very clear, but we need to spend some time on it. And that is simply the fact that Jesus is coming back. We can't skip over this. We can't get immediately to rewards and and punishment. We need to understand the fact that Jesus is coming back. And I mean it. He he really is. He's he's going to do it, I promise. And, And I know that it's hard for us to imagine Jesus coming back. Revelation 22, verse 7 says, Behold, I am coming soon. Uh, Apparently, for Jesus, soon does not mean within 2,000 years. What does soon mean for Jesus? What does this really mean? It's hard for us to be 2,000 years out from something uh, and think, does Jesus, will this really happen? Uh, The Jews themselves were waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come, and He finally did. Um, We are waiting now for Him to return. And he said he will come soon. In fact, the New Testament is simply chock full of promises from Jesus that he will be returning. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. And the return of Jesus is mentioned a little over 300 times. So that means on average, it's mentioned at about once in every chapter of the New Testament. Now, there are a couple of books that don't mention the return of Christ, but it's three. Uh, Galatians and 2nd and 3rd John. Every other book mentions the fact that Jesus is coming back. In fact, we have an entire book, the book of Revelation, that is dedicated to the theme of Christ's return. Christ mentions it often. In fact, he, he talks about it with his disciples Uh, The ladies this past week were looking at the Olivet Discourse in Mark chapter 13, a difficult passage where Jesus is talking about His return. Uh, I'm sure it was difficult for the disciples to to imagine the fact that He would be returning when they didn't fully understand what He was doing uh, in the first place with His first coming. But He said that I will be coming back. So why is it so important for us That Jesus is coming back. Why is this something that we can't skip over? Well, from our vantage point in history, what hope do we have moving forward? What hope do we have except for the hope that Jesus is coming back? Now, I normally don't paint myself as a pessimist. I'm not. Uh, If you ask my wife, I am always uh, typically a glass half full kind of a guy. Uh, But if you look around you right now, even if you listen to the requests that we have brought uh, this morning, uh, these things for prayer, if you look around yourself, does it really seem like Christ accomplished salvation through His death and resurrection 2,000 years ago? Do you ever wonder? Now maybe it's not right for me to say this, but but doesn't it seem 
like after 2,000 years, that maybe life would be a little bit better at this point. I know if you're an Arkansas fan, it seems like life is getting better after two straight wins uh, and a shutout yesterday. But what about the rest of us? Uh, What about the rest of life? Um, Shouldn't it be better? I know some of you are having struggles right now. You've had rough weeks. You've had rough months, rough years. Um, Life's not easy. It's hard. It's difficult. What hope do we have? We have the hope of Christ's return. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 8. Some of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture about the hope that we have, where Peter writes He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I love those verses from Peter. What hope do we have? Christ is coming back. And how do we know this for sure? We know this because God always makes good on His promises. He always does. I've been reading through the book of Numbers recently as part of my devotions. Numbers is a difficult book. It's hard. Um, But I found a a gem of a verse this past week. Uh, Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Christ has promised that he will return. And God always makes good on his promises. We don't know how, we don't know when, and that makes the anticipation of his return difficult. We don't know. But we can have absolute confidence that it will happen. So according to Jesus, what is going to happen when he returns? He says you will be rewarded if you are prepared and if you are a faithful servant. Now it's funny and it's hard to talk about rewards. um, But we need to because Jesus talks about the fact that faithful servants will be blessed. In the first parable, he refers to his servants who are ready for his return as blessed, there in verses 37 and 38, also implying that there are some who are not blessed. In the second parable, he says in verse 34, 
that he will set the servant over all his possessions. The master will reward the servants who have acted faithfully in his absence. If you remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the servants are rewarded based on their stewardship of the gifts that were given to them. The one who is faithful with five is given five more. It makes sense in the business world, right? Those who have greater responsibilities in their jobs uh, are usually compensated more. That makes sense. Uh, Who gets paid more, a paralegal or a lawyer? The assistant or the manager? Uh, This is how the world works. But we don't like to talk about it when it comes to the kingdom of God. It seems odd to think about rewards. When we talk about salvation, it is by grace through faith, not of our own works. This is absolutely true. God does not base salvation on the things that we do. God doesn't reward salvation based on merit. Salvation is completely and utterly a gift of God, but can God reward the faithfulness of His servants in the life to come? He can. And He indicates that He will. I have no idea what that will look like. I have no clue. Um, Scripture is not abundantly clear about this. What are these rewards that Jesus is talking about? What is this blessedness uh, that the faithful servants will receive? Uh, it may be some kind of authority. Jesus mentions that, that he will give the faithful servant charge over his possessions. Um, I don't know what that will look like in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in the parable of the talents, Jesus said that those who have been faithful over little here on earth will be set over much in God's kingdom. You know, there's a lot that we don't understand about what the kingdom will be like. But there are a few things that we can be certain of. We can be certain that when these rewards, these blessings are handed out by a just God, that we will rejoice with those who rejoice, and we will be content with what we have been given. After all, it's not like anyone's going to be suffering in heaven, right? I mean, we're in heaven. We're in the kingdom of God. Other people may have better seats in the stadium, but we're all still at the game, right? We get to experience that together. Uh, It's not about the blessings. It's not about the rewards. If we're simply living life in order to seek personal rewards in heaven, then we're obviously missing the point. Don't forget last week that we talked about seeking first the kingdom of God, not seeking our own place in the kingdom of God, but simply God's kingdom. In other words, the point of this life is not to live so that we get rewards from God. That's self-seeking. He calls us not to do that. The point is to live for God's glory. Whatever rewards may come are secondary, and we shall be grateful for that. So, um, as great as it is to think about possible rewards in heaven, what, what that might be like, Uh, we also must be warned regarding the opposite. Those who are not prepared and who are not faithful, Jesus warns them, you will receive judgment. You will receive judgment if you are not prepared or if you are an unfaithful servant. So what happens to the unprepared in the first parable? Uh, We don't know. Jesus doesn't exactly tell us. He focuses on the blessedness of those who were prepared. 
We can assume that those who were not prepared did not reap the benefits of having their master serve them. When the master came home, it sounds like there was a party. And they didn't have to serve at it. Instead, they were being served. They missed out on that. Um, In the second parable, Jesus does tell us what will happen to the unfaithful. So if you can remember back to your time in high school, imagine this scenario. Your parents are leaving for the weekend. For some reason, they have entrusted you with the care of the house. They're not going to be gone long. So you decide what most people would do in that situation. Well, I'm just going to have a small gathering of just a few friends, and we're just going to hang out. Well, you know what typically happens. Word gets out, and that small gathering of friends uh, usually turns into a large gathering of, of who knows who is there. Um, the, the party quickly gets out of hand. And the parents suddenly decide, you know what, we're not going to stay all weekend. We're going to come home early. And much to their surprise, what do they find when they get home? A house full of kids, uh, chaos, and that teenager is busted. Um, Well, this similar thing happens in the story uh, that Jesus tells here. The master comes home unexpectedly. Some servants were doing the master's will, others were not. Unfortunately, those who knew the master's will and did not get ready or act accordingly received a severe beating. He even says that they were cut up, they were uh, measured with the unfaithful. This shouldn't surprise us. God is a just God. Let's not fool ourselves. Unfaithfulness will receive just punishment. And honestly, would we want a God who was unafraid to punish evil? Who was was, uh, afraid to give what was due? And this judgment from God, it will be based on knowledge. The ignorant will receive a less beating. The ones who are in the know will receive more. In verses 47 and 48 it says, And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating, but the one who did not know and did, not, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Now granted, they both received the punishment, uh, but one got more than the other. And this works when we're raising children as well. Um, you know, Abigail is 18 months old. There's things that she does not know and does not understand. If it's something that I've told her over and over and over again, then obviously the punishment is going to be more severe. If this is the first time, um, obviously the the punishment is going to be less. But this should be setting off alarm bells in our own minds right now. Because we are not ones who can claim to be ignorant of our Master's will. You know, Thanksgiving is coming up this week. We've already mentioned that. And uh, like I said, our family usually takes some time to say the things that we're thankful for. Uh, We usually go around the table as we're sharing a meal and just say the things that that we are thankful to God for. And uh, even when life is hard and discouraging, we're still able to find things that we can offer to God in gratitude because of what He has done for us. Sometimes we don't realize how good we actually have it until we stop and think. And the same is true for us spiritually. We have it good. We have it real 
good. How do we know what the Master's will is? Well, God has given us His Scripture. We have access to God's Word in our own language. That's a big deal. Over the last 2,000 years, uh, the people who have lived, a majority of them have not had that privilege. It's only been since about the time of the Reformation that this was the case. It was very rare for people to actually read God's Word on their own. And now we have it. Uh, We have multiple copies in our homes. We have it in our pockets, on our phones. We have it on our computers. Uh, We have access to God's Word uh, typically wherever we are. That's a great thing. Uh, We have access to great books, to great teachings. Uh, The Internet has opened up just a plethora of things for us uh, to, to hear God's Word. Uh, We hear Christian songs on the radio. We have church every Sunday. We have Bible studies during the week. Uh, We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, We can send our kids to Sunday school. It is not a crime to be a Christian in our country. I know it seems like it's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian here, but in reality, we have a tremendous amount of freedom. God has blessed us. And we cannot claim to be ignorant of Him and of His will. And because of these blessings that we have received from God, we are like Spider-Man. Now work with me here. So, uh, at the beginning, when Spider-Man, Peter Parker, realizes that, that he has these powers, he tries to help. And in the beginning, uh, his desire to help actually results in the death of someone extremely close to him, his Uncle Ben. And as his uncle is dying, his last words to Peter Parker are these. It says, with great power comes great responsibility. We have been given great power. We know God's will. We have access to it. We hear it proclaimed week in and week out. And with that power comes a great deal of responsibility. We are to be faithful servants of our Master, to be ready for His return, to be doing His will in His absence. And Jesus doesn't mince words here. Those who are faithful servants will be blessed. Those who claim to be servants but who are not, who are unfaithful, will face the judgment. So the obvious question then is, how do we do that? How do we get ready for Christ's return? What does it mean to be a faithful servant? It's very, very simple. It's believe. Just as the Master in these parables came back, we need to believe that Jesus is coming back as well. However, What does it matter if Jesus is coming back? If we believe that, if we don't believe that He came in the first place, if we don't believe in what He accomplished during His first coming, to believe in His return means that we believe in the reason why He came first and foremost. That we believe that Christ became exactly like us in every way, except that He was without sin. It means that we believe that He took upon Himself the sins of the world, that He suffered and died, that He conquered sin and death 
and hell. In order to believe that He is coming again to set all things right, we need to believe that He has the power and the authority to do that. And Jesus proved it in His first coming. And now God has given Him all the power and the authority in the world. And that is why Jesus can say when He gave the Great Commission, He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go. Even though it seems like He is delayed and we wonder if He is ever going to come back at all. We know that He will. And when He does, He will come back in power to make all things new. And we need to believe this. Revelations 21, verses 3-5 through says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, <clears throat> the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So waiting for the return of Christ when he is going to make all things new, it's not a passive waiting, it is an active waiting. Uh, in Advent, we are anticipating the, return, uh, or the, the coming of Christ, his first coming. But we're not just going to simply light candles, and we're not just going to simply sing songs. We're active during Advent. Uh, next week, we're going to have a tree set up in the foyer, and there's going to be ornaments on there that you can take home and presents that you can buy for people in the Nehemiah house and in the Dorcas house, uh, people who, do not, uh, who, who need very basic items. Uh, we're going to be active in our waiting for Christ's return because actively waiting means serving others. What it means to wait for Christ's return is to believe the gospel and to live the gospel. To live like we actually believe it. The ready and the faithful servants were ready and faithful because they realized what their master had done for them. And Christ as our master has died for us. He has died for us, his servants. And at a time when we were unfaithful, the master came and he laid down his life. He took upon Himself the severe beating that we all deserved. And someday Christ is going to return. Our Savior will come back. And while we wait for His return, let us live our lives out of gratitude for what He has done for us. Let us pray. The most gracious and merciful Father in heaven, our Master and our God, Lord, we come to You as servants. And I pray that You would find us faithful. In the ways that we are not being faithful, Lord, I pray that You would bring them to light in our lives. And through them that You would remind us of the Gospel, that while we were yet sinners, You died for us. Instill in us a desire for gratitude, 
because of the knowledge of what you have done. Help us to understand the responsibility that you have placed on us. And let us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, live as though the gospel is true. Lord, go before us, go with us, lead us and guide us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.